0: You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustine Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith.
1: Welcome back to Form Now. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Klein, here with my colleague, Dr. John Seahorn, for our last episode on the confessions, and we're going to be dealing with probably the most difficult topic in the confessions, uh, which is the subject of the last three books. Uh, The last three books of the confessions turn from the autobiography to scriptural interpretation. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's in those books, uh, and why on earth Augustine would end his autobiography with uh, this kind of an exercise? And why
0: you shouldn't give up when you and get why you there. shouldn't
1: give up, and why you should read it. You know, don't it just because your college class only assigned the first ten books doesn't mean you should stop reading there. You should, should read the whole thing. So maybe we'll begin with just uh, an overview of what's in Book Eleven, Book Twelve, and Book Thirteen. Sure. I can go. Sure. Okay. So (laughs) uh, so this may not be evident to you if you're reading the confessions, what exactly is going on in these books Mm -hmm. and and what he's doing. So the the last three books constitute an interpretation of the opening of the Bible of Genesis chapter one, uh, but he moves rather slowly at the beginning. Uh, So book 11 is an interpretation of the words in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Book 12 is an interpretation of God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and then book 13, he, he picks up the pace and does uh, does the rest of Genesis chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you might ask why, how on earth you could spend an entire book on three words uh, and why you would bother uh, to do that in an autobiography. So I, <laughs> I thought I would first just uh, reiterate kind of something I said in the last uh, last episode about how the, the whole of it fits together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing to say is certainly Augustine intended all these books to fit together. Uh, so even though some people have been a little confused, maybe thought this, he added this later. I think it's very clear, the architecture of the work, because at the very beginning, uh, he mentions, um, or he mentioned, he, he says, you know, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And at the very end of the confessions, he ends on the Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very clear that he intended the beginning and the end to mirror one another. so they so, so they do belong together as a whole. Uh, and there is a kind of stylistic um, logic to the thing, as I mentioned last time. So if he's narrating his life in the words of scripture, uh, then there's a kind of flip to where he's explaining scripture as the measure by which you understand your life, the world, and everything that's ever happened. Uh, and so that's really why... And, and also, yeah, just
0: to add one thing, the, the means by which we participate in this ecclesial community, in the church, which is a community formed by the the humble mercy of Christ, right? So we we talked about that last time that like there's as we ascend to God, we're also sort of we're involved in descending mm-hmm. um, uh, to our neighbors, right? Which is what Augustine Augustine wanted to go off and be a monk by himself, but God called him to be a priest and then a bishop, and and um, the scriptures. Right are are the primary way. That's what he's preaching on, um, in which he's he's bringing this healing uh, to others. There's a there's a great line in one of his one of his sermons, um, where he kind of says, "What am I doing here? Why am I why am I preaching to you?" And he says, uh, "Because I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go without you." Right, and that's that's why he's preaching the scriptures.
1: And these last books really do kind of constitute a meditation on. Human life, and specifically human life in the church, and so if we think about it as kind of like a at a ten thousand foot view, right? Book eleven is about time in the beginning, so like the the sort of when when is this happening? Uh, and then the heavens and the earth. Where is this happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then book thirteen, in a sense, is like what is happening. What is happening is the church. So book thirteen is really a, an allegory for the church.
0: Well, and yeah, and to kind of slow down on those, right? I mean, the the, the when is this happening? Um, thinking about what it means to say in the beginning, and he mm-hmm. spends pages and pages doing mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, one of the things that really that that, that really strikes you as you read it and, and ponder it. Um, it, it really it really is a kind of exercise in humility because mm-hmm. that question of well what what is time and what does it mean that that um, whereas God is in this sort of stable eternal now, right mm-hmm. outside of time, we're always in this constantly moving flux, right the The pre-socratic philosopher Heraclitus famously talks about this that um, you know, you can't step into the same river twice um, because it's always moving along. and that's true for us too mm-hmm. that, you know, whoever, whatever we are, um, is, is literally changing moment to moment. And there's a way in which that can be frightening. It's Mm -hmm. like, how do I get a grip on myself?
1: So that's, that's a really important point. Why would Augustine spend an entire book talking about time, uh, in an autobiography? All of a sudden it makes a whole lot of sense. If you think, well, like, what is autobiography? (laughs) Like what, you know, what, what am I, what am I even narrating? Like, how, how Mm -hmm. can I even narrate it? Uh, And if we've talked a lot about how Augustine's conversion is really a turning away from himself and pride and toward God. And for him, these last three books, it's just that logical final step in doing that. Because not only has he given over his whole life, he's given, you know, he's giving over his whole way of thinking all of heaven and earth, the seas and all that are in them belong to God. And there's no way to understand it or to put it together. Um, So I thought I'd just read one little passage from uh, book 11 to kind of make the, you know, drive home the point that you're making about, um, this is a means of really recognizing your, Hmm. your created status. I'm looking at, um, book 11, chapter 18, section 23, uh, says, uh, allow me Lord to press the question further. Oh, my hope do not let me lose the thread. Uh, if future and past things do exist, I want to know where they are. If this is not yet within my compass, I do not know at any rate that wherever they are, they are not yet there as future or past, but as present. For if in that place too future things are future, they are not there yet. And if there too past things are past, they are no longer. Clearly then, wherever they are and whatever they are, they can only be present. Nonetheless, when a true account is given of past events, what is brought forth from the memory is not the events themselves which have passed away, but words formed from images of those events, which as they happened, Went on their way left some kind of trace in the mind to the medium of the senses. Okay. So you might be, it's like, sometimes you're reading these passages, like, why, why are we talking about this? What is, what is going on here? Uh, but this is, this is an exercise in humility. Augustine's thinking about, you know, every moment that we're living through is slipping away so quickly and what we're going into doesn't exist yet. And what we've left behind ceases to exist. And so, all of a sudden, the idea that's you know um, spoken about in Genesis that God created all things from from nothing, all of a sudden that nothing is pretty darn close. You know, when you're thinking about how like you're, you're on the razor's edge of existence. <laughs> What's coming doesn't exist yet. What, what left behind doesn't exist yet. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you come to this awareness of yourself as created, as completely dependent on the act of God. And, and then also at the same time, Augustine's giving a nod to this image of God in us. And yet we can speak about the future and the past. There's some seed of mm-hmm. eternity in us that's able to think about the things that aren't yet in existence, think about the things that have passed out of existence, to live through them as um, a logical, sensible creature and so both of the in, in contemplating time and in contemplating in the beginning that God created time itself, uh, Augustine's able to have this vision both of how humbled we should be, how uh, sobered we should be, uh, but also how grateful we should be for having that impress of the image
0: yeah no that's that's right um although we you know as, as we've discussed really throughout the confessions um we, because we've fractured that image through sin by turning in on ourselves, by um, allowing ourselves to be um, sort of dissipated, um, you know, in in the creative world, um, it becomes really difficult to um, to give that sort of full account, mm-hmm. like the coherent account of ourselves. And so I wanted to go forward to um, a passage where he's sort of taking some of those principles in the passage that, that you just read and actually applying them to himself, to a mm-hmm. human life. Right? We have all these moments that. You know, as soon as they've happened there in the past and now do they even exist anymore and the future ones don't exist yet. So where, where am I in time? Where, Who is this me? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and basically he says, uh, well, nowhere actually, if you try to kind of like grab yourself and make yourself make this coherent image. And, um, so this is in, this is chapter 29 of book 11. He says, but since your mercy is better than life, that's a line from Psalm 63, uh, behold, my life is a distension or distraction, and that's that's actually two translations of a single Latin word, distensio. But the idea is of being sort of stretched out, right? Mm-hmm. Of of just sort of slipping away. And then he says, "But your right hand has upheld me, right? So where do we find some sort of anchor, mm-hmm. right, in in which to ground an understanding of our lives in time?" He says, "It's God's right hand. How?" in my Lord, the son of man, mediator between you, the one and us, the many who are dissipated in many ways upon many things. So once again, it's the mercy of Christ, right? It's actually clinging to Christ that gives us um, uh, a kind of foothold for mm-hmm. understanding ourselves. So he goes on from there. The whole thing's very beautiful. And he, he really kind of ends up, um, uh, he, he riffs a lot on the image from Philippians three, where St. Paul talks about um, always, always, you know, leaving behind the things of the past and stretching out to what's ahead. Um, why? Because I want to make Christ my own since he has made me his own, right? So you see there St. Paul talking about Christ again as that that kind of anchor. And then I, I love that just the end of this chapter, he says, but now, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to when God will gather all of me up Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and reintegrate me, you could say, uh, he says, but now my years are wasted in size and you, O Lord, my comfort, my father are eternal, but I'm distracted amid times mm-hmm. slipping away whose order I don't know. And my thoughts, the inmost bowels of my soul are torn asunder by tumult and change until being purged and melted clear by the fire of your love. I may flow altogether into you. And he's of course not talking there about some sort of like dissolution as a creature, like that you, like Mm -hmm. some sort of like, you know, um, flowing into the one and not being yourself anymore. Um, But rather sort of letting go of all of our attempts in pride to make ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And so to bring all those ideas together, and I I love that you brought that passage in because it really shows how autobiography meets scriptural interpretation. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, you know, in the beginning, God, God created, right? In the beginning, God created, all of a sudden shows you the measure by which you understand your life. You didn't make time. You didn't, not only did you make, not make yourself, you didn't make any of the parameters in which you exist. You don't even understand them. You don't even understand the fabric, which is your very life because God created in the beginning. Uh, and so that, that first part of scripture kind of dictates to you something about yourself, which is that you, yeah, you can't give yourself meaning. You can't make a coherent narrative without the love of God, uh, which sort of purges away the nothing that we're constantly tempted to. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who creates and he's the only one uh, who sort of gives that shape. And so it's, it's scriptural interpretation. He's meditating on you know, what those words mean, what a beginning is, what time is, uh, but also how that is the measure of the work that he's doing in the book.
0: So that, I mean, and I think that You know, that that gives us, I think, a lot to work with in approaching um, book 11. Um, So then book 12, right? God created heaven and earth. What's up with that book, Dr. Klein?
1: Yeah, well, I think I I won't talk long about book 12, but um, because I think a lot of what we said about book 11 will be helpful for book Mm -hmm. 12, because just as we don't understand time and kind of how we're moving through it and how it's possible, we also don't understand space. uh, And we particularly don't understand how heaven can possibly be married to earth right? God created the heavens and the earth. And it's like, well, why would you do that? Those are two completely different things. How are you going to bring them together? And so the idea of sort of Christ the mediator, um, and also, um, something else that happens in that book, which is very interesting is the um, marrying of disparate scriptural interpretations. Mm -hmm. So you have this idea of disparate creation, heaven and earth, which seems like two things that don't go together and won't work. Uh, and then also from that, the sort of many, many interpretations that come out of Scripture and how that's one word of Christ, which is speaking and is going to be unifying all those things. Mm. Uh, and so kind of, you know, where am I or how am I living through this world? And then, you know, how are heaven and earth together? What is this sort of, what is matter? You know, what yeah. is time? What is matter? Uh, and so I think that recognition of humility uh, and the sort of multiplication of meaning and our inability to weave them together without Christ is also very applicable to I Earth think it's 12. worth
0: mentioning too, that I think maybe some readers will look at it and say, well, like Augustine just needs modern physics and, and then we'll know what matter is. And I actually think, I mean, we don't have time to go into too much detail that, that if Augustine, um, you know, were with us right now and had been studying up on quantum mechanics and, and all of the, you know, the cutting edge things in physics he would have said, uh, no, this is actually making my point even better, mm-hmm. right? The the world that we inhabit, usually unreflectively, is incredibly mysterious. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and in a way, right, um, it, it reminds us again of how mysterious our own existence is. And then I think, you know, once we sort of grapple with that, and th- there's no getting around it, uh, books 11, and I think especially book 12, are difficult. Mm-hmm. But but it's important to sort of go through those paces with Augustine, because that that's going to prepare us... Uh, for book 13, which which really if you kind of understand what Augustine's doing, which is what we'll we'll try to talk about a little bit, um, I think it's actually one of the most rewarding books uh, to read and and really just to sort of soak in and and celebrate
1: yeah so book 13 is I mean basically what we would call an allegory for the church but it's kind of misleading to say it just like that uh, off because then people think you know allegorical interpretation is this, the way that all the fathers interpreted scripture? Is this kind of like a standard kind of allegorical method? Uh, And I think the answer is kind of yes and no. (laughs) Like on the one hand, the fathers like Augustine, uh, all the fathers saw the Bible as sort of the rule for life, the way you form your vision, the way you speak about everything. But on the other hand, I don't know if there's another example of this kind of concerted effort to say, the opening of Genesis tells me everything I need to know about time about where I'm at and about what's happening in the church. And he really kind of is trying to make it a, a rule for what's happening in the church. So, you know, the, the seas become sort of unbelievers and believers coming out to the land and then the birds in the air become the priests. that's I'm
0: getting discouraged, Dr. Klein. I'm
1: just getting you some tips, you know, so you know what's going on <laughs> a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, it, it is, it's, it's not an intuitive way, I think, for modern people to read the Bible, but especially if you think about um, kind of Augustine's background in Manichaeism, um, I, I think that's one way to approach it, right? The Manichees thought that physical creation, our bodies uh, were bad, right? Whereas the Catholic Church taught and still teaches that no, in fact, uh, material creation is good, uh, even though it's been wounded um, by sin. So, if, if God's work of creation was good, um, and now we're undergoing his work of redemption, which is mm-hmm. a kind of recreation, and that's actually being done by the same God, then we shouldn't be surprised that there are sort of patterns or images mm-hmm. that are discernible in the account of of creation, especially when we remember that um, you know uh, Genesis 1 is given to us like all of scripture, for our salvation, right? The Bible was not written just to sort of satisfy our curiosity; mm-hmm. it was to disclose to us and to invite us to participate in um, God's great work of creation, but then also of recreation of of our redemption. And so, the the um, and so for Augustine, I think it was it was only natural right, that this, this account of creation would also reveal something about how God's redeeming us in the church.
1: And, and also, I think that the insight Augustine has about the opening chapter of Genesis is very in line with the biblical text itself. Genesis 1 isn't in the Bible to tell us anything about the material mechanisms by which the world was created. It's there as a preface to the story of Israel. You know, who is God? What, what are we here for? Like, who, who are the cast of characters in this story of the Bible, right? And God is the main character, uh, and the cast is one that he creates, uh, and our purpose is embedded in that creation. And so for Augustine to, to think that he's gonna see the recreation and the life of the church in Genesis is is actually a kind of intuition that comes from the biblical text itself. It's not just a fanciful impression that he gets. Uh, and once again, it's something we mentioned in the last episode, kind of conforming the way you think, conforming your language uh, to the scriptural one is what's happening here. And so there, Genesis 1 is beautiful. You go to the Easter Vigil, you hear Genesis 1 read, it's very beautiful. And then to take that one step further and hear your own story and hear the church and hear the God mm-hmm. bringing us to life mm-hmm. in that story, like Augustine's doing, if you can get his ear for it, if you can stick through it and read it and... Understand how he's thinking of the earth being watered in the act of redemption or the work of the preacher in the air in the act of redemption. If you can, you know, just just go with the flow and give him a little credit, <laughs> uh, I think you will find something there that's worth worth meditating on. Uh, and and finally, what I what I really think what 13 helps us to do, and, and I did mention this in a previous episode, it really helps us anchor that claim you are made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This isn't this isn't a sentimental claim this isn't a triumphalistic claim uh, he is trying to work up in us a sense of restlessness which longs for mm. the Sabbath mm-hmm. rest of God mm-hmm. and he thinks that the way that you wet your appetite for that rest is meditating on the word of God and and yeah. and seeing how that Sabbath rest is Built into creation, and is what we're meant for, and is what all things are longing for.
0: Yeah, and you know, the, the, one of the things that we've come back to a few times in this in this series of discussions is the way in which Scripture um, reshapes our speech, but also reshapes how we see the world. So I thought maybe um, as a kind of illustration of what we're talking about here, the ways that that the text of Genesis one for Augustine reveals something about our redemption. I thought maybe we could look um, just briefly at um, the end of chapter thirty one. Of Book 13. So, Book 13, Chapter 31, uh, Section 46. He says, It's one thing for any man to think what is good to be evil, as the aforesaid men have said. So, referring to something he just talked about. It's another thing that a man should see that that which is good is good, just as your creation, because it is good, is pleasing to many men, to whom, however, you are not pleasing in it. In other words, okay, you, you might be confused about what's good and bad, right? You might think that, I don't know, arsenic is good to consume. Like that's wrong, (laughs) right? Okay. But you also might see good things in creation and recognize them as good and yet still not refer them to God, not see how they're good, Mm -hmm. right? In relation to God. Okay. For this reason, he says, they desire to enjoy your creation rather than you. It's another thing still that when a man sees a thing to be good, God may see in him that it is good. In other words, now it's as if we're seeing with God's vision or God's seeing with our vision, right? There's a way in which now not only is our, is our language conformed to God's word, but it's like our sight is conformed to God's sight. When he says in Genesis, he saw that it was good, mm-hmm. right? Um, namely, to the end that he may be loved in that which he has made. For he cannot be loved except through the spirit whom he has given because the charity of God is poured forth in our hearts by the Holy spirit who is given to us from Romans five through the spirit. We see that whatsoever exists in any way is good for it is from him who does not exist merely in some certain way, but is what he is. Right? So in other words, if we learn to see the world, through eyes that have been formed by scripture have been formed by God's word have been formed by the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit Um, we'll see it for what it truly is we'll see it as reflective of God's glory we'll see it as reflective of his love and of his mercy
1: that is a wonderful point to end on and I thought uh, I would I would also mention just in this this idea of the spirit in that passage that you read, that some scholars also think that the final three books are patterned on the Trinity. So mm-hmm. uh, the Father, book 11, and the Son, book 12, and the Holy Spirit, book 13. Uh, so I think there is, there is something to that. And there is something about seeing who God is uh, in his creation that is a driving force throughout the confessions uh, and the point he ends on. So thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun to talk about The Confessions, one of my all-time favorite books. I hope that this series helps guide you through The Confessions or gets you excited about reading The Confessions uh, and helps you stick it out through those last final books. Uh, The Confessions is one of those works you have to read over and over and over again, uh, and you still will get something out of it. So God bless you, and thanks for joining us.
0: You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org.